Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. It's a cold, wintry day here in New Zealand. I'm tucked up warm in front of the microphone and I'm looking forward to chatting to today's guest. His name is Martin Sibley. Martin was born with spinal muscular atrophy. It means he has to use a power wheelchair and needs uh, care to help him with his everyday living. But hey, that hasn't stopped him one little bit. He has a degree in economics and masters in marketing. He's the founder of Disability Horizons. He has a book that he authored called Everything is Possible. And he's the founder of a company that was sold to Airbnb. I'm really looking forward to chatting to Martin about that journey. He's also an adventurous soul. He loves to travel. He speaks at conferences and to organizations around the world. And most importantly, he is determined to change the landscape for the disability community to essentially show society that not taking disability into account is detrimental not only to business, but society. Martin is a happy go lucky guy. He's got a great smile and nothing is holding him back. He's an adaptifier through and through. Martin, so pleased to have you on the show today. Welcome. Yeah, it's good to be here, mate. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. So uh, listen, Martin, you're, you're a bit of a powerhouse. You've, you've got lots of irons in the fire. Um, can you just describe for me and, and share with our audience uh, a little bit about yourself and, and how you found yourself uh, in this disability community? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess the most obvious factor is I have a disability, one that I've had since birth. So obviously growing up was, you know, shaped but not defined by by having a disability. Mine is um, neuromuscular, so I, it's under the muscular dystrophy umbrella it's called spinal muscular atrophy um so basically i have to use an electric power wheelchair to get around everywhere i've never walked um i have to have a lot of care support for you know getting in the shower and the toilet and all the sort of daily living tasks so that that's been forever as long as i can remember um and then yeah as i sort of went through childhood and got you know good education good grades and wanted to go to university and actually leave home to do it and as you can maybe tell I've got a British accent so this was um, in England where I where this was taking place um, so I ended up moving a couple of hours away and that was a real sort of testing moment of how to not have my mum and dad and all that sort of comfort uh, around my independence in place um, but to go out and, and start managing a care team and dealing with the funding for the care that we get from the government here in Britain. And yeah, so all that kind of stuff um, was things I had to go through and a whole lot more that, that I could sort of go into more detail in. Um, after uni, where I got a degree in economics and a master's in marketing, I ended up working for a disability charity in London, which was a kind of dream come true to live and work in London. Um, and through that, I got... I kind of got the bug in terms of realising that there's so many people in the world have a disability. There's so much education to do for society to help remove the barriers that actually are what 
disable us if you think about steps mm. and attitudes and policies that's you know they're barriers that are societal constructs really uh but also confidence and mindset and skills and ability from our individual self is very important so yeah for, through working at this charity um i started blogging um and that's kind of gone on its own journey through social media to speaking on global stages, co-founding Disability Horizons magazine, co-founding Accommable, which we exited to Airbnb a couple of years ago, which is like a travel website. Um, and yeah, a whole lot more fun and progress, but yeah, still a, still a lot more to do in the world as well. Man, that's impressive. Tell me, um, you know, what were some of the, the, the tools you employed or some of the attitudes that you took growing up to, to help um, to help you cope with, uh, I guess, people's perceptions and attitudes towards you? Yeah, good question. I mean, when I was going through it and growing up, I don't suppose anyone's so self-reflective or analytical at the time. But when I look back now, I do see, you know, certain things. So I think um, there, there was a balance, for example, around inclusion that I, I know that going to a mainstream school where in the early days I was the only person with a disability was was a positive because I didn't as I mentioned at the beginning define myself by by having a disability but when I went to what we call secondary school um sort of 11 to 16 years old uh, my local school wasn't accessible so I had to go further away for that and there was a mixture of disabled students and non-disabled students and I think that that mix was really important so there were other disabled people that understood some of the things I was going through and I understood what they were going through that other people that weren't disabled just couldn't but yeah as I said before to have friendships beyond disability um, gives you that sort of broader more inclusive view so I think inclusion has been more of a, a value than a, but it's sort of a mindset as well. It's been very important. Um, but then in terms of other particular mindset, um, a, a particular story always comes to mind when I was about 15 years old and I had to go into hospital for, for quite a while for a back operation because I had scoliosis. And basically that's a curvature of the spine. And having these two titanium rods with all sorts of nuts and bolts screwed into my spine and they had to deflate my lung and take out the growth plates. It was a pretty invasive um, two-part surgery. And when I was sat laying on my back, um, you know, high as a kite on painkillers and all sorts of terrible things and, you know, uh, tubes coming out of my body, I really set to having patience. So the, the patience that I would get better and I would be able to get back on with living life but the other mindset was to dream big. And I started from that hospital bed to really dream about all the adventures, all the travels, all the career things and all the, the love relationships, all that stuff that I would do when I was better and when I got older. Um, and I think to to visualise those kind of dreams that were genuinely mine, not not those of parents or teachers or the media, but they were truly my own dreams um, really helped me get better, but they really helped me to go on and 
and achieve them as well. So, yeah, definitely a big thing around uh, dreaming big is important. So what gave you the confidence to to dream big and follow follow your uh, your dreams? I suppose family has been very important. I don't want, if anyone's listening, you know, that has a, a less than ideal family life, I don't want that to, to take away that, the, you know, they're still able to dream big and achieve those dreams. So it's not an absolute necessity but I think yeah when you've got um whether it's family or or a new type of family through different friendships I think that supportive and encouraging words are very valuable because of course you know we're all human we all have down days and you know even when I got better and I was more chasing those dreams and even now you know there's still tired days there's still days where you you do question things and that's just part of being a human being but yeah, I, I do think having a good network of people that, that are positive and encouraging and will listen to you on those down days and just be a an ear to listen or a shoulder to cry on sometimes I think is very important. Were you were you ever teased at school growing up and, and how you know, how did you handle that? Yeah, I, most of my childhood and school life, I don't remember too much sort of teasing or bullying. Um, I've always been quite a good talker, as you can tell, and I, I always sort of got on side with the, the the guys that were, you know, known for being good fighters and a bit bit more physically <laughs> able. So if there was ever a problem, I could always call on the, those guys to sort it out for me. Um, so that that was definitely a tactic. Um, and, and there were one or two occasions, like there was once that there was um, an outside area so when we're waiting to go in for a lesson there was a sort of a a canopy if you like you know a covered walkway and it was raining you know it's 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 England so there was some rain happening and there was a hole and this water was pouring through the hole like a waterfall like a torrent and um the the, the few of the, the guys at school were just playing around and trying to push each other into the water um and one of them turned off my wheelchair and then sort of lifted the back wheel off the ground and pushed me under the water. And I felt that there was banter, but then there was like, to, to, to turn the chair off, I was completely <laughs> defenseless. Um, and so I did, you know, go go to the teachers and, and, and I, you know, approach it from that perspective that I felt it was out of order and the teachers told off the two guys. And, you know, it's I think it's a hard balance because – we all, you know, there's banter and there's mm-hmm. teasing in a healthy way. Um, but yeah, whenever there was something that st- overstepped the line, I think I was always happy to communicate. And I guess that's another sort of takeaway point for the listeners: is communication is so important, and not not to bottle things inside or feel that you shouldn't talk about stuff. You know, it's always good when you feel sad or upset to, to share it, and when there is injustice. To, to point it out and I suppose that that's fed back into my life that sort of ended up being quite journalistic with the blog and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, unless people really understand your situation and how you're feeling, um, you know, that I guess that starts with uh, – the way you can change things, isn't it? You know, if you keep quiet about things or you bottle feelings up, then people just may not understand your perspective. But I, but I think also yeah. it's it's you know in a way it's cathartic for you. I remember going through my uh, 
you know, my injury and, and blogging was, was a way that I could pretty much just open up and let all, all the feelings that I had bottled up out. And, um, and it, it really helped me, but it also helped the people around me who are also yeah. trying to understand the situation, you know, my wife and my close friends and family. And so for them to actually, you know, take a, a close look into the inner workings of my mind during this time, um, helped help them too. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think the words you hit on those cathartic, isn't it? That it, it just really helps you work out your own feelings and perception of the world. And I mean, you know, you mentioned family, um, sometimes when, when we kind of blog, there can be, um, uh, another side that people get to actually see your, your deepest thoughts. And when I've blogged about fears and worries, um, my auntie, for example, rolled my mum and said, is Martin depressed? Cause he's writing about feeling sad. And my view was that it helped me, but I think it's good to be honest to, other people that you know that we all have that as i said earlier it's part of being human to have sad times and actually to talk about it is is a really big important tool and something that i think is becoming more accepted and normalized but i think past generations and uh, they talk about it again in britain there's this british stiff upper lip which means that mm. you just sort of keep on smiling or you know don't be sad and don't talk about being sad so yeah i think whether it's blogging or not, it's definitely good to, to be in touch with your emotions. Yeah, for sure. 100% I agree. Um, so, Martin, you, you finished university and uh, with, you know, with degree in economics and a master's in marketing, that's, um, that's quite the achievement. Um, and then, you know, and then what was your, what was your sort of first step after that? What, um, what path did you take? Yeah, the, the, I was going to say the terrible thing. It's a bit too over the top, but the, the funny thing, if you like, is, you know, when I did the degree in the master's, it was a bit going through the motions and particularly because I'd had this new lease of life from leaving home and, you know, coming back from the pub or the club with my mates so that my mum could put me to bed and then suddenly having a care team that were my age and they wanted to go out clubbing as much as I did, I really hit the party and hard and you know had had a few <laughs> wild nights with some beautiful women and all that sort of stuff was brilliant the, the studies was a bit of a secondary thing so it's quite a miracle that I actually came out with half these decent <laughs> grades anyway um so I think yeah as you say the path after that was well damn you know I probably need to to get a job and didn't really want to leave that lifestyle but um my my dad you know being the sort of uh paternal uh, logical part of, of of my life was you know here, here's some adverts he'd spotted in a local newspaper and one was for this disability charity um so i i applied for it because it, it wasn't a dream job but i felt that i mean i had applied for some other jobs in the city of london that were very financy and i'll never know if my having a disability had a bearing on the rejection letters or not. I don't want to presume it was only that, but, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't get called for interview. Um, and that was probably just because I'd done economics, you know, the obvious next step, just going through mm. the motions. But getting this this job at the, the charity, um, I was able to spend a year back at my parents, which had its own challenges, but um, I was able to get settled into a career and, you know, get used to monday to friday nine to five and all that sort of stuff and yeah through them they, they gave me a lot of career development learning development i became a trainer 
Um, and then eventually I got the sort of transfer um, from where I grew up or where I moved back to in a county area called Cambridgeshire. I ended up going over to London and I did for four years, so probably five or six years total at the charity. Um, and having started in a human resources role, I did end up in a fundraising role, which was a lot more kind of marketing-y. Um, and I ended up having some really good roles and, and days at that charity. But then, yeah, it was 10 years ago this August. So I'm almost 10 years a blogger. And it was eight years ago uh, today, because we're recording this on the 4th of July, that I actually left that job. So there was a couple of years uh, where I'd been blogging, but was still in the day job. Um, and through, as I said earlier, the, the kind of process of blogging and becoming known as an influencer and getting invited onto BBC Breakfast and to write for The Guardian, which you know, sort of very big media outlets in the UK, I realised there was a potential life and business for me out of the, the charity. So, yeah, I, I quit my job in the May but left in the, the July um, which was Independence Day and uh, in America. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, never looked back since then, really. Well, so, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Um, for, for people listening or, um, yeah, especially for people listening that may be searching for, for work, um, what, what advice would you, you give? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest one is a bit like we were saying, growing up and the mindset of dream big. Um, and I think that other point I made about, that your dream, not a dream of a parent or a, a teacher or, a, you know, the media. Um, I think it's getting getting down into yourself, really, and saying, well, what what kind of industry, what kind of job, you know, what would the perfect role or, you know, business? And, you know, a, a lot of disabled people go into self-employment because I think it works with a sort of balance around some of the health uh, difficulties that we have to juggle in different ways and also the the discrimination that is definitely sometimes going on at, at mainstream businesses and you know that there's initiatives working on that around the world to, to educate businesses on why they should employ disabled people so I think first of all it's about just having that clean sheet of paper and just going into what ideal job you would want and then I think after that, there's a, there's the pragmatic bit. What are the barriers and the needs related to your you know disability, whether it's energy levels or wheelchair access or whatever it might be. But and then and even more pragmatic, there are websites that are jobs boards where there are big employers looking for diverse talent, and, and so actually you know with a bit of research online that there are ways of applying for jobs where the businesses are really receptive to, to disabled and diverse employees. So, yeah, it's kind of going open-minded, look at the, the personal preferences, and then gradually, you know, as, as in any part of life, there's going to be compromises, there's going to be taking short steps along the journey. So, like, that first job I had out of uni wasn't my dream job, but it got me on the, the sort of ladder and started to give me the right experiences to work towards my dream job. Um, and, I, and I'm probably more in my dream job now, getting to to chat to people like yourself, Mike, and to to change the world with a lot of the projects I do now. But, you know, that I'm still aiming for bigger and better things today. So I suppose something else is always 
stay hungry and have an insatiable insatiable appetite to do more as well. That's uh, that's great advice. I was at a spinal unit yesterday up in Auckland here in New Zealand, and I was speaking with a with a mother of a um, you know teenage girl or or just about to enter the workforce, and uh, you know she'd had a actually she'd been hit by a car, and you know she was just saying that her daughter was starting to think about uh, looking for work and. You know what did I think, and how how would that work, and how could she do that? And uh, mm. I guess my advice to her was to, like anybody searching for work or um, looking for a new opportunity in their life, you know, persistence and confidence is two of the things that, um, and also you know, not taking a no as a personal thing. You know, so I, I said to her, yeah. you know, it's it's like raising money, um, you know, for. For a startup company, for example, you know you might get ninety nine people that say no, and so same thing with a seeking employment or finding, um, you know, finding work. Uh, you might get ninety nine people that say no, and then the, the that one person will say yes, and that's all you need. But you've got to go in there with your chin held high, and I think yeah. if you're confident, then that sort of you know, if you, you hold your head high and you look people straight in the eye and you project yourself confidently, then, you know, they'll, they will actually end up looking past your um, disability or, your, you know, your situation. And they'll, totally. they'll, they'll see, you know, what you're made of. And, um, but yeah, don't take, don't take rejection personally, you know, you, and, and ultimately actually it's a, it's a blessing really, because the people that, um, judge you for your appearance or um, you know your your situation really aren't the right people um, that you want to be with and you just need to f- you know keep asking keep searching for the the people that actually see you for what you're truly worth and um, and then yeah. that'll, that'll be the happy balance you know yeah totally and it's actually something else she touched on there is this, this idea around uh, abundance and I think you know when we look at it that there's only so many jobs and there and there is you know a limited or a finite amount of jobs that, that probably are up in an economy at any one time but you know when you look at it like oh there's all this competition there's only so many jobs and you know am I going to be able to get it that that mindset takes away the confidence that, that you're quite rightly pointing out that you need and then oppositely you know the abundance mindset is that there's always a job and an employer and a company out there that is looking for exactly what you can give them. And it's not coming into it from a position of wanting to be given permission or approval, but it's a win-win. Like I, I spoke at the um, Institute for IT Professionals in London a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying that, that actually there's going to be a shortfall in people that can code and program and generally even some of the other jobs that are around um, in, a, in a tech business that aren't specific to coding, there's going to be a shortfall because as the aging population gets older and retires, they're looking for the next generation of skilled people. So if, if you look at trends and where economies are moving to, particularly, you know, think apps and digital as well as obviously you know physical products as well but look for trends you'll, you'll find if you've got the right skills you're going to be you know more more needed and demanded from the employer than you may have a few people to choose from you know absolutely there's a couple of options i suppose uh, you know the, the distributed workforce where you know, if, if you've got skills, you can um, post, and I think you mentioned it before, you can post a job 
uh, or, or post your services on job boards. You know, that's you know you can work in your own time. You can work in yeah. a in a in a shared space, so you, you still have human contact, but you can basically um, look at a global market for your special skills and talents. And the other thing that um, I'd like to point out too is that you know navigating your life with a disability of some form and and actually coming through and being confident proves that you have resilience and that you can, yeah. I mean, you, you, the odds are stacked against you. And if you can come out, you know, with a degree in marketing and, and, you know, these skills and this confidence, then, you know, I think that that proves that you are um, a cut above the rest, actually. Um, you know, I mean, it takes you and I, you know, a lot of extra time to get ready in the morning, you know, with our, yeah. our personal cares than it does someone else. You know, we have to work extra hard to um, just be ready to go in the morning. And and I'm not sure that everybody realises that, but, you know, uh, I think – I think personally that should give you confidence that if you can manage that and, and you don't use that as an excuse, but actually you use that as a, Hey, look, I can, uh, I can show up and, and I've already had to go through an hour extra effort um, than, than everybody else. I'm really, yeah. I'm really your man or woman to, for this, for this role or for this, um, this task, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, um, how else are you looking to change, change the world? What, what other, what are the things that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so the, the big one is Disability Horizons has been going for about eight years now, and it it was very much a magazine, really, an, an online digital magazine, and we put out lots of positive, can-do lifestyle content that's by disabled people for disabled people. And then as we went on that journey, the, the funding of it w- was very difficult, and we planned to have a sort of magazine model where there would be advertising and I think that the digital marketing landscape has shifted where you know older print or traditional print media warranted quite a a good business model for adverts whereas on a website an ad banner or a sponsored Mm -hmm. article just isn't it doesn't you know carry the same value uh, as an offline print version so that was through that learning was when Shrin and I then said, well, let's create a product. And that's where Accommable came from. And so we, we launched the beta version of this Airbnb for disabled people. And then so that took on a life of its own with grants and investors and ultimately, as I mentioned, you know, selling it to Airbnb. And then since that happened a couple of years ago, um, I've come back to Horizons and sort of said, well, okay, we, we can't, uh, fund it through that ad model but th- there's so much we want to do for the community so we've created a strategy around the content the social media um, upskilling and mentoring and running online and offline events are the kind of four themes that we want to do for disabled people and that's not UK only that you know we've got the vision that it's going to ha- in the long run help every disabled or as many that we can possibly reach of disabled people in the world um and on the business side we've realized that so in in britain there's uh 13 million disabled people and that's obviously different types of disability um not just you know wheelchair user but it's still of the disabled people there's 13 million and they reckon that of a, a household of a disabled person 
there's 250 billion pound spending power and they've started calling it the purple pound the way that the pink pound illustrates the market for gay people and the silver pound is is for older people and what we're seeing is that the mainstream businesses are wanting to know how to employ disabled people and retain disabled talent as we touched upon earlier but also that you know we are consumers um, and, and I would even go another step and say politically we are voters and I think that there's something quite empowering when you realize that as as a big group you know these businesses and politicians and all the rest of it should actually be starting to think about what what we need and want in that context um, so we're moving the conversation, particularly with the businesses down that road. Um, so we're becoming a kind of a, a marketing agency for businesses and companies that want to actually sort of spread about their um, positive and inclusive and ex- accessible products and services. And it's early days. We've, we've had a meeting today. We've been accepted on an incubator. Um, so we're going to be getting lots of mentoring and eventually we're going to hope to get you know some grants and and funding for for this vision but yeah so that that's very exciting um and i still do lots of talking at conferences and lots of blogging around the world so i'm off to croatia on sunday for two weeks um to do some blogging and instagramming and all the rest of it about accessible tourism and i've got the canary islands and spain coming up in in August, so uh, yeah, I've been able to create, you know, create this life that I can work online mostly. I can travel the world because I love it. But actually, there's this bigger, very powerful mission that we want to make the world inclusive for everybody. Oh, those destinations sound absolutely horrible. <laughs> I'd yeah, hate, I'd it's hate... gonna be a, a chore, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm curious about Accommable. What what did Airbnb end up uh, doing doing with the company and, and the information that was contained within that company? Yeah, so the, the guy I've mentioned a couple of times, Trin, he, as part of the acquisition, um, has been working as like a product manager for accessibility and inclusion. And, you know, it was a, a case of the, the work we'd done on Accommable um, and the properties that were vetted were, were gone. Um, the idea is that it should be part of the DNA of Airbnb, but you don't just immediately get a big company like Airbnb to have everything perfect. So there was a phase that Shrin did where they added the new filters. Um, so if a vendor uploads a property now, they have to tick various sort of um variables and you know um, filters for accessibility um, so that that was a good step and I believe I saw on um, LinkedIn that Shrin said literally today that the vendors have to provide photos now or that there's an education and a encouragement that they need to share photos to prove the accessibility because as we all know the filters without um, photos and proof can be a little bit incorrect quite frankly Mm. um so yeah there's a lot going on about getting the vendors to understand what an accessible property means and again that isn't always wheelchair user that could be a blind person or a deaf person etc etc but yeah that so that's kind of where airbnb's got to at the moment and that's only you know a year and a half after the acquisition so it's it's early days but 
I think the fact that they acquired a Commonwealth showed my previous point about the purple pound and that mainstream businesses realise that they're they're actually turning customers away by not being inclusive. And now they are, you know, making those real changes that are necessary to make a positive impact for for travellers with a disability. That's great. What are some of the uh, what are some of the misconceptions or blanks in knowledge that businesses have around uh, you know accessibility and and inclusivity for for our community? What are some of the key things? I think the the biggest factor is fear of doing it wrong, and this comes back to when it was a civil rights and, and a a political thing, and it still is. Like you know, if I don't have the the funding for a wheelchair or my care assistance, like I can't do anything. I can't get out of bed. So there is still a need for a government to to have the political side of independent living and also the laws to stop discrimination and inequality and and all that kind of stuff. So that that that's you know all there. But when there was that politicised movement for the the laws, and I don't know in New Zealand and other countries specifically, but we've got the Equalities Act, um, which came originally from the Disability Discrimination Act, which was back in 95. There was a lot of, you know, people had to handcuff themselves to buses to be seen and to be heard Mm. and to finally get this progress politically. But if you're a business, you're just scared now that the minute you do something wrong, an angry disabled person is going to come with a placard and and start going really heavy on that activism. And, you know, there are times that is still needed and there are people that still do that. And so that that's, you know, we'll leave that there, whether it's right or wrong. It definitely has its place sometimes. But most of all, the businesses now need the confidence that they can work with disabled people to design buildings, design services. And when you design for disabled people, there's now research that shows it's better for everybody. So there's this really positive and empowering movement about inclusive design, but the businesses are just worried that they're going to get sued or they're going to get a tweet saying how rubbish they are just because they made a mistake. And I think as disabled people, we have to allow businesses to to learn by doing and to make mistakes without totally hating on them, because in the long run, it's going to be in our interest for them to do that. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I, I work for an organisation called the New Zealand Spinal Trust, and mm-hmm. the last couple of years we've run a, uh, a wheelchair um, day where on World Spinal Cord Injury Day, we... Um, we supply wheelchairs to various businesses and in some cases um, politicians. In fact, the Minister of Disability and the Minister for Accident Compensation here in Parliament in New Zealand uh, were in a wheelchair for the day. And some of the feedback we got was was quite uh, interesting in that really it, there was a big gap between um, just a, awareness of what it actually meant to use a wheelchair and, and you know simple things like Oh, I didn't realise um, how difficult it was to open, you know, this big heavy door from a wheelchair, yeah. you know, and uh, exactly. um, you know, and and it, uh, the impression I got was that it wasn't because they didn't want um, to include, uh, you know, people in this case with wheelchairs, but they just didn't know how, and they just didn't have the perspective yet of of actually, well, what what does it actually really mean? 
Um, yeah, well, we go. There's a thing, and again, whether it it was part of the the New Zealand movement in the past or not, you have to let me know. But we we had something called the social model, and I, I mean I've geeked out on the history of disability rights because you need to understand what was going on and where where it's come from to help take the best of it and defend the important bits, but also to envision different sort of, you know, or, or, or take momentum from that to, to keep making things better. And with the social model, it comes back to that thing I said earlier about the barriers of the environment, the barriers from people's attitudes and the barriers from policies of organisations. And I think that when when you say the problem isn't that I have this medical condition or this limitation physically the problem is from society that's really liberating and empowering that you're not the problem that the, the problem is out there and it's fixable but the slight downside of that is that you know you can start to say well society is hating on us because they've put these barriers up but like you just said no one's gone out to create the barriers and and kind of consciously discriminate against disabled people it's just that you know when when like the underground the uh, metro in london the tubes were built there, there weren't wheelchairs really around so they didn't think at that time to to have lifts and ramps to get on the underground and so we're still fighting in london there's only a third of them are accessible two thirds aren't so yeah i think there's this, this whole no one's doing it to be an arsehole. They're just, you know, being, they're waking up and it's our job to educate with love, really, what, what, what we need to happen so we can be included as citizens, as employees and, yeah, as members of the world, really. I really like that uh, statement you just made there, to, to educate with love. And, and I think, you know, Having having anger um, from from I guess from the disability side at, at the injustice or the seemingly in, injustice of it, I don't think that. Yeah, and you and I get that, right? It, it some days are just shit, right? Yeah, abs- absolutely. But but I think realizing that it's um, in in many cases it's actually not intentional. Um, it's just yeah. you know like it's historical or it's just through lack of uh, lack of knowledge or in some cases you know just a lack of resources. Um, you know like there's a lot of historic buildings um, here that yeah, um, yeah. that you know have steps and um, you know are actually just incredibly expensive to retrofit. Um, but then again, that's that's where that's where innovation comes in. So I was going to say technology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, you know. So there's lots of. Uh, you know. There's actually lots of opportunities to innovate in the space. I believe. Um, and yeah. Did, did you see the Toyota Mobility Foundation mm. ran a um, the thing to do with you know basically inviting innovation in the wheelchair, um, and that was cool to sort of bring in AI and you know robotics and all types of modern tech and design but apply it to the problem around mobility for disabled people i think it's fantastic yeah absolutely and and i'd i'd like to see more um yeah i'd like to see more incubators and and tech funds that focus on this um so uh yeah i think it's i think it's fantastic i think you you 
I guess you touched on the fact that it actually this this purple pound is uh, quite a large market, and in some cases it's overlooked. So, uh, you know, I think there's I think there's real opportunity there. Uh, you know, I was in China recently, and I saw one or two wheelchair users. You know, we were in cities with um, mm. 25, 30 million people, and yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it was actually I imagine looking back in time. Um, you know, it's some of our societies where. Um, you know, you just didn't see that many disabled people out and about. And I came back to New Zealand and it was a stark contrast, you know. And so China will, and their middle class will, uh, you know, they're modelling uh, the West. And so, you know, I, I see a tremendous opportunity in those um, those countries where people with disabilities maybe societally aren't, aren't looked upon as equals or um, aren't given the same opportunities and... Um, uh, yeah, no. So I see, I see opportunity there to uh, to bring um, bring those uh, economies and those countries more in line with um, with where we are today, but also to uh, yeah. yeah. So there's an amazing movement called Valuable Five Hundred, and they're trying to get CEOs and C-suite executives and board members to commit to inclusion and essentially they're acknowledging. That there is this this purple pound, and I I heard that the global disability market, um, which yeah is is synonymous with purple pound, is seven trillion dollars. Um, so yeah, when you, when you take it global, it's it's absolutely massive, and it could be how companies you know can become unique and compete, but by, by actually having that as an emerging market. And I think you you mentioned about Asia. Um, I've not been to China yet, but I've been to Japan, and and that level of tech innovation and sort of robots that might even do care, you know, healthcare or social care one day, and all that mm. vibe is interesting. But I I think back to our point about educating with love is that you know there's still the humanity side, and what we need is people to wake up that everyone should be included, no matter not just disability, but you know, it becomes about all the other protected minority groups that, that have had to struggle for civil rights. But, you know, in the end, it, I think the world can, can eventually wake up that everyone can be included and participate. And we've got the tech and the innovation to do that more than ever. So we sort of need people's um, compassion to wake up as much as our sort of engineering and design skills have. Yeah, 100%. So, Martin, uh, aside from a couple of recent trips, um, as you mentioned, what um, I mean, I guess you're you've been accepted to this incubator, so it's going to be interesting to watch that space. What uh, what other things uh, are in your are, are in your future? Uh, well, I've been doing a podcast like yourself for a couple of years. Um, just named it the Martin Sibley Show. I thought it was just, it does what it says on the tin, and that that's um, led to an opportunity where I'm going to. Be, it should be October time where it goes live, but collaborating with a lady in America who has a podcast that's for disabled people, the topic of disability. Um, and I've also been doing a lot more coaching and teaching around how to sort of how to change the world, but you know, without it being too cheesy or too crass. It's more about you know how to get influence from nowhere. So it's very much about you know the things I've learned the last. 10 years from zero to ending up as a as a key influencer um so there's going to be some stuff around some online courses and um some coaching 
and, and that world. So that's really, really exciting. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm getting married next year. So I need to get my head around the logistics of that one as well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit of busy times, really. Oh, that's great, man. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, I really do look forward to uh, seeing those progressions and, uh, and some, some good wedding photos um, online. Um, where can people find out about you and, and uh, I guess, uh, engage in conversation with you online? Yeah, I mean, as a blogger, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much everywhere you can think of social media-wise. Um, so it's Martin with a Y is the main one that people get tripped up on and they spell it with an I. Um, so it says martinsibley.com and Martin Sibley on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And then also with disabilityhorizons.com, that's where we've got loads of content on travel, relationships, um, employment, all that kind of world that is, as I said, that is by the community for the community. So it's not it's not my words. It, it's a lot of other people's stories and input. Um, so, yeah, and the main two ways. And I've got a book on Amazon if people fancy a coffee or tea time, being in Britain, tea's everywhere. Um, to, you know, a little a read about my travel memoir. It's called Everything is Possible. And that was just a chance to, to show off the, the holiday photos, really. <laughs> I see that here on your website, yeah, a bit of skiing action and uh, and all sorts. So to finish up, if there was one thing you could recommend um, the disability community, but also, um, you know, businesses that are looking to include um, people with disabilities, what, what would that advice be? What would that action point be? Yeah, I think that, and I remember this word was a bit of a buzz back at the charity, but the word they used was co-production. And, and actually, I'd probably say that the main thing is co-design now. Um, so I think it should be a lot more, and, and we've already seen this with, um, you know, as a transport company, RAM focus groups and online surveys to actually listen to the needs of disabled people. Um, and I've even met with, like, pharmaceuticals and life science companies that are finally saying what does the end user experience day to day so i think most of all it would be getting around a table talking and the one word would be co-design that's fantastic so yeah i mean we are quite often given surveys to uh to fill out and um and so yeah i guess fill them out you know uh, the more the more people in our in our sector that um that actually give feedback the better it is i mean if if someone's asking for um yeah for feedback and and help to make a product or service better then uh, then i think it's the onus is really on on us to to give that and not not ignore that so yeah go yeah i'd say more um, entrepreneurially minded if if there isn't a company that or a sector that's engaging with the disabled community on something, then go out and create your own solution and you'll either end up with your own business for life or you can sell it to one of those main businesses once they wake up to the opportunity. Uh, that's good advice. Yeah, find a problem and if no one else is solving it, go out there and, and do it yourself and you'll find like-minded people that, uh, that will join you on that journey. Yeah, and the tools are there. You know, we, we're in a point now more than ever with, like, I work off my smartphone. I do everything by my smartphone. And so, yeah, we're, you know, there, there's so much collaboration and connection now through digital means, even for offline products, but the whole 
stuff can be done really collaboratively. So the tools are there. I think it's just about having that confidence and can-do mindset. Absolutely. Uh, Martin, listen, mate, it was a, an absolute privilege to uh, chat with you uh, today. And uh, I hope that um, hope that we get to meet face-to-face. I, I have some travel uh, to the UK and America in my, in my future with, uh, with Adaptify. Uh, so I'll be sure to um, try and try and uh, connect with you, and and I, yeah, I welcome you um, uh, when you if you're in New Zealand, if you find yourself down here to uh, to look me up, and I'll be sure to uh, host you and and uh, make your make your experience as, as good as possible. Great, that'd be lovely. Yeah, it'd be good to grab a beer together. Absolutely. Hey, good luck um, for your your upcoming trips, and um, I guess I really uh, thank you for all the work you do in this space. Likewise, mate. Good to connect. Right on. Catch you soon. All right. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.